We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Over the past several years, you've heard me talk a lot about the mastermind, and I keep thinking it really is the best professional development that you can get. So what I'm going to be doing over the next couple of weeks is just reading some of the things that people have said have been most useful to them from our hour together. So here's the first one. Uh, the discussion about a high school principal, even though it was at a different level. And one person said this week, it was the quietest hour I've had in the last week. So those are just two reasons of what people are getting out of the mastermind. If you're curious about it, check out jethrojones.com mastermind and just schedule a call and let's chat about whether or not it's the right fit for you. That's jethrojones.com mastermind. I've got a book coming out. How exciting is that? It's called School X, and it's all about helping you as a principal be a designer of your school and not just a manager. So I hope you'll check it out. You can download the free chapter at schoolx.me. And once you get it, hit reply to the email and tell me what you think. Looking forward to sharing that with you. That's schoolx.me. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. I am very excited to be talking with Derek Sivers, who is an entrepreneur who founded CD Baby and has written a few books. Um, my favorite book that he's written is called Anything You Want, uh, which is 40 Lessons for a New Kind of Entrepreneur. And uh, he is now writing and doing cool things, taking long walks <laughs> in Oxford, England. And so welcome, Derek, to Transformative Principle. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Jethro. Thanks for having me. So I'm excited to talk with you because you have taken a, a different path and you have a son that you are um, 
it sounds like you're homeschooling. Is that a correct way to say that? As of a couple months ago, yeah. <laughs> like we all are, yeah. Right, exactly. But before that, no, the reason we moved here to Oxford, England is for uh, the schools. Uh, we really picked this place on earth. We moved all the way from New Zealand to Oxford, England for the schools. And up until two months ago, he was in what's known as really one of the best schools in all of England for his age category. That's very exciting. So you moved there and one of the things that you've written about on your website many times is this idea of giving your son your full attention and letting him lead the way in the things that you're doing, especially with creative play and things like that. So can you tell us about how you view parenting and educating your kids and not just educating as in sending them to school, but also teaching them the things you really want them to know? So first I have to give this caveat that he just turned eight. So I still feel like I'm really new at this, right? Like uh -huh. I, maybe in, ask me in 20 years, I'll have more authority on the subject and more to say. But as of now, just beginning to dabble in this. So my approach to parenting has been to encourage focus and encourage him to just dive deep into whatever is interesting him. So he grew up mostly in New Zealand. We only moved here to England a year ago. So age zero to seven was New Zealand for him, which means he grew up mostly outside. And that really shaped him in a big way. Mm -hmm. For one, because we would do very low stimulation things, meaning like we'd just go out to a place in the beach or a place in the forest or just a grassy field and just play there for hours and hours, like five hours. We just sit in one spot, just playing with shells, playing with driftwood, making little things out of leaves and sticks and whatever. And uh, I always wanted to make sure that we did everything for as long as he was interested in it. Like never saying like, come on, we need to go, you know, cause I want him to, I wanted him to feel that life lesson about like, whatever you're into, just keep going. Like, don't feel that, well, I've been doing this for 30 minutes or 60 minutes. I should stop. Sometimes I worry that the pace of school lessons um, gives that kind of uh, typical time, like every 30 to 60 minutes, or I guess it's more like, you know, 60 to 90 minutes, we change subjects. Kind of like the way when we all see a Hollywood movie, we kind of expect it to be somewhere around 100, 110 minutes, right? We, that's, we just get used to like, that's the length a movie should be. And if it goes much longer than that, we're like, ah, oh, come on, what's going on? This movie's so long, right? So um, I really liked this idea of him always diving into whatever he's into for as long as possible. And yeah, and also broadening his inputs. So deliberately, like while we're playing with Lego, I'd be playing some really like avant-garde Bulgarian or Indian music behind uh, him while we were playing and just letting these sounds soak in uh, to his mind to kind of open his ears and things like that. Cause I was a musician, I'm a nerd, you know, but all of that is just parenting. Yeah. I guess education is a different subject. Well, I, I really do think that they are closely intertwined because whether you intend to or not, you're teaching lessons through the things that you focus on. And so right. in your situation, you want him to have that focus for as long as he's interested in it, 
why was that important to you way back when he was just young enough where you could start doing that early? Because if you started doing that now and hadn't been doing that, kids wouldn't know what to do with that. <laughs> and so right. why was that so important early on for you? I guess it's just a personal preference. Like I feel that if you're focused, you can do anything. If you're not focused, you can't do anything, <laughs> anything good. You know, that's, that's just my own value system, right? I mean, there were other things in there too, like empathy and consideration. Uh, there's a really sweet story. When he was like two or three years old, we were out playing in a playground somewhere and a kid fell down and started crying. And I think his parent wasn't hovering over. And I said, oh, hey, that kid fell down. Can you, you should go give him a hug and tell him it's okay and try to help him. And he went, okay. And he just ran over there and like put his arm around this kid and like patted him on the back. And he's like, it's okay. It's okay here. I can help you. It's just so cute to see like my little two or three year old doing that. But it was because I told him to, right? And then I think one more time, maybe six months later, again, he was only three or four years old. That kind of situation happened again. Like some kid was sad and crying about something. I said, oh, look, he's crying. You should go put your arm around him and, and, and help him. He goes, oh, okay. And he went running over there to help. And Jethro, like ever since then, since the age of three or four, now he just does it automatically. Anytime he sees anyone get hurt or sad anywhere, he immediately like rushes over and puts his arm around them and just like, it's okay. Can I help? It's all right. Are you okay? And it's amazing that I can just see that direct link from two specific examples where I encouraged it. And now it's just a habit, even at this age. I, he still does it. Like just the other day, we were, I guess a few months ago, we were at a coffee shop and a kid like leaned back and fell out of his chair. And even though his parent was right there, my kid just even without like just an instant reflex, as soon as a kid fell out of his chair and started crying, he like jumped up out of his seat, ran over there, put his arm around him and said, it's okay. It's okay. I'm like, yeah, wow, that's, that's awesome. so cool to see that. Yeah. I wish I could consistently do even more things to encourage the values that I think are important. Yeah. I think that that's, that's really great. And, and I've seen with my own kids, similar things that when, when you, when you teach them how they should act in a certain situation, they're more apt to act that way in the future. I want to go back a little bit to that piece about focus um, because that story of, of empathy made me think about an example in in my life that's happening right now where um i've i come from a musical family my mom plays the piano and organ beautifully and her uh grandpa created a school of music in salt lake city utah 100 years ago and it was very successful and and i took piano lessons when i was a kid but then didn't like it because i was being forced to do it basically uh is how i feel is that uh because i'm rebellious by nature <laughs> i didn't like that that being that pushing me into that. And so I've wanted my kids to be into music also and realize that I need to set that example and say, this is, you know, this is how I'm choosing to spend my time or how I think you should spend your time without it being like, you must do it or else you're grounded. Um, like you can't go out and play until you practice the piano. And cause that for me never worked. And that does work for some people. So I started uh, playing uh, this year and um, and have been practicing every day. Um, we have a keyboard in the house and 
I'm just using an app to um, to teach myself, uh, basically to get me to where I was when I was a kid. And um, and it's been really cool to do that. And I'm enjoying it a lot because it's allowing me to be creative. But then I've noticed how my kids are starting to do it as well. And they practice, Derek, honestly, for more than the quote unquote required 30 minutes per day that I had when I was a kid. And they are, it seems like they are always playing. And I just find it so fascinating because they see me doing it that they think they can do it as well. Mm. And, and it's one of those things where I, I believe they're going to be musicians because it's there and nobody is pushing them to do it. And they're going above and beyond what I would expect them to do. Even my oldest daughter who has Down syndrome, she just cannot get her fingers to do what, <laughs> what she wants them to do, but she loves music. And so she persists and continues to play every single day and gets mad when she doesn't get to play as much as she wants. And wow. she's not even doing it right, but she, she knows that it, it matters and that it's important to me and she wants it to be important to her as well. At least that's what I think. Um, but she's, she's doing it. And so that idea of, you know, leading by example, teaching them how you want them to act and then allowing them to stay focused. I think those three things, when you combine them together are really, really powerful. That's such a great example. I love it. Um, hey, I feel like I didn't answer the second half of your question about like how I'm educating my son. Like we talked about parenting and I, I kind of stopped there to make the division between what I consider just parenting and, and education. But the, you know, I've, I've had education on my mind lately because of the school situation we're in right now, you know, in May 2020, that up until two months ago, like I said, he was at the best, one of the best schools in all of England, but he didn't like it. I mean, he liked it better than the school he was at before, just a little bit, but just all in all, like, eh, do I have to go? And just every day just kind of felt like drained and eh, grumble, grumble, grumble. And these last two months without school, I feel he's actually thriving more than ever. He's so into it. And I just see him advancing and thriving, which makes me want to learn more about unschooling, right? Like, we're spending full time with him. So I'm just seeing these natural tendencies. So he, he loves memorization. He's really good at memorization. So we use Anki, uh, A-N-K-I, which is a flashcard software. And you, we've been using that for a couple of years and he just enjoys it. So um, wanting to raise a little world citizen, uh, on the front of the flashcard, I put the picture and just the picture of a country on the map, like no words on the map, just the shaded region of a country. And he memorizes what country that is just by shape. And at this point, he can do like over 130 countries in the world just by seeing the shape of the country on the front of the flashcard. He just gets it really quickly. So you just, you know, flash, you show him, he goes, Azerbaijan, flash, Estonia, flash, Peru, flash, Vietnam, flash, Indonesia. And he just, he recognizes these and he actually like loves dancing while doing it. Right. Um, so he's like, give me some more, give me some more dad. Like, you know, I just want to keep dancing. Um, but then if you give him a word problem, you know, like, uh, whatever, Jennifer went into the store and bought six loaves of bread for 30 cents each. How much did she spend? 
he's just completely stumped. So I don't know at this point whether I should be maximizing his strengths or working on his weaknesses or both. Um, but here's what I have noticed is that when he sits down to do schoolwork, right? Like now that the school is kind of back in session through these kind of crappy online things, um, he does these required assignments, but he's so distracted. Like when he's sitting down to do a worksheet that school is requiring, everything will distract him. Every little bird out the window, every paperclip on the table will be fascinating to him. But when he's making something himself or like learning or reading through watching a video, he's completely riveted and completely focused. And his memorization thing, like he can recite word for word things he heard once a month ago if he was engaged while listening to it or watching it. But if he's distracted, like these school worksheets, he can't tell you what he did five seconds ago. And so I'm just noticing this huge difference between him flourishing by doing whatever's naturally interesting to him versus just floundering through doing school assignments. I'm not really sure what to make of it. It's all pretty new to me. Yeah. You know, that is something that, um, that's, that is exactly what I, what I try to coach schools to do more of is to help kids be engaged in their learning by allowing them to choose the way that things work. And so instead of saying, you know, here are these things you have to do, we do it more the way you do parenting. What do you folk? What are you interested in? Focus on that and focus on that for as long as you can. And what we're going to see with kids is naturally their focus is going to move from one thing to another. However, you can get an intense amount of learning quote unquote done in the time that they're focused on that one thing. And so when you when you start with that premise and you start leading them down that path, then you create the opportunity for them to be engaged in something that they care about, that they're interested in, and they're going to learn so much more from that. And I've done that in school where we've taken kids out of the regular classroom, put them into groups or by themselves or whatever, um, and had them find something that they're interested in. And when we do that, what I inevitably see is that they, they care more about that than the work their teachers are assigning. They go deeper with that than the work their teachers are assigning. And they will often finish the work their teachers are assigning quickly so that they can turn their focus back to the thing that they're really interested in. And, right. and so that's, that's one of the reasons why I've... I've been wanting to interview you for so long and was so excited to see that you were doing podcasts again so that we could talk about this because as a parent, you've been doing that with your son and you're seeing how school, you know, is in my mind, basically killing creativity. And you're over there in, in England where Sir Ken Robinson um, <laughs> was when he first started talking about how schools kill creativity. And that, that really is the case because um, they, you know, the point is not to be creative and figure something out. The point is to get a an assignment or a worksheet or whatever it is, complete that and receive feedback on it to know whether or not you did it right, according to the teacher, and then move on to the next thing that they can tell you that you did right or wrong. And that's just not a a great way for kids to learn. It's, it's demoralizing, it's boring, it's difficult, and nobody likes it. And yet that's how we do education 
all over the world and um and it's not the best way to do it but it's the most efficient way if what we're trying to do is to you know churn kids out through a factory model but that's that's probably not what you want for your son that's not what i want for my kids um you probably have different dreams for your son than being just like everybody else right first i think that any focus is good like any interest is good meaning any interest that a kid has is good like the mastery path to anything is great whether it's video games or juggling or beatboxing or skateboarding or surfing or poker or whatever when someone gets so into something they should be encouraged to master it like to help them see that they can become one of the best in the world if they focus and deliberately practice at that thing. And that may mean like helping them get a good teacher that can observe and instruct. But I think all in all, it's like helping them to take it seriously. Right. And I'm saying this because of my own flashback, my own look at my past, that my thing as a teenager was heavy metal guitar. And as a parent, it can be tempting to see that as a waste of time. Like, oh, Derek's just won't stop playing his guitar. Come on, you got to focus on something real. But in wanting to be great at it, it helped me focus so much in every aspect of my life. And I didn't realize this till recently when I look back at teenage me. Like, I was practicing six hours a day doing these deep finger exercises and every day looking for ways to improve as a guitarist. And I was reading every interview with every successful musician looking for clues on how I could become one too, which then led me to reading uh, books like Tony Robbins, like self-help books, trying to master my life so I could be the successful person I wanted to be. And then that eventually led to reading books on business to understand how I could make money doing my music because I really wanted to be a successful musician doing nothing but music. And all of this was outside of school, of course, like school, high school is just teaching world history and English rhetoric and stuff I didn't care about. So I did terribly in school. But even later at music school, when I think about it, like I went to Berkeley College of Music, like a specific music school. But even there, the classes were mostly teaching things like big band jazz arranging and things that weren't directly applicable to what I was doing. But I just had this drive. I was just massively focused on being a successful musician. It wasn't until I went back to my high school 10 years later for the 10-year high school reunion. I was 28 years old. And I went back and I was shocked at how they all seemed so lost. Like they were all just wearing suits. And when I would ask them what they're doing, they're just pushing papers around in some mid-level management job for Motorola or whatever, just paying the bills. Like they were 28, but they all looked 40. They just looked so like dead and grown up. <laughs> and at the time I was a full-time touring musician and they would, they were all like blown away that I quote unquote followed my dreams. And my reaction was like, yeah, what did you think I was kidding? Like I always knew exactly what I wanted. I was always just laser focused 
on what I wanted. I wanted to be a successful musician. And that's all I've done since I was 14 was focus on this one thing. And yes, I was only making, you know, like money wise, like what, a thousand dollars a month or something like that while they were making more money in their corporate jobs. But it wasn't about the money. Like I was focused. I knew what I wanted out of life. Um, so yeah, looking back now, like I didn't really lift up my head and wonder what I wanted to do with my life until I was 40 years old, like age four, okay, wait, 39. Age 39 was the first time since I was 14 years old that I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. Everything from the age of 14 to 39, I was laser focused on exactly what I was working on. Mastering guitar led to mastering music, led to mastering business, led to mastering programming, led to mastering life skills. And, you know, when I say mastering, I mean trying to master these things. I'm not saying I am a master of those things. But the point is, I never like, sat around watching TV, getting drunk, going to parties, and all those time wasters that people do when they don't know what else to do. Like I was always, always, always driven to be great. And so, yeah, to finally answer your question, um, I think to be driven is the best thing that we can help someone be no matter what it is that they're focused on it. And sorry, I don't know if I communicated this well enough. Like I think that it doesn't matter what someone's focused on. It can be even as shallow as video games. It doesn't matter if they're on the path to mastery. Anything is better than that. Just a drift lost thing that makes people just sit around and, do nothing and get drunk and hang out feeling lost. So how to do that? How to help someone be driven? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe probably by demystifying it, you know, by showing them the path, by showing them it's possible, by helping them get step by step so that they can see the path, see the goal. But yeah, I think it's so crucial. Yeah. And, and to bring that to an education perspective, because it really is, in my opinion, if you in education, we're trying to get kids to achieve greatness by being, you know, jacks of all trades or whatever the case may be. And the reality is, as you were reading those and you've already said it, you know, you were reading those interviews with great guitarists and then your focus on being a great guitarist yourself led you to be able to focus on being a great business owner led you to focus on being a great programmer so you could create your business that um that would eventually sustain you financially and so all those things um the the common thread in all your experiences was your focus on mastery and getting as good as you possibly could at something and focusing on that one thing now all the other things like you learned how to read better you learned how to understand and retain information you learned all these other skills that we think are so important in education you learned those through that process of mastery but not only that you probably understood those things and i'm not you know i don't know guitarists so i couldn't ask you anything specific but i could probably ask you something about a specific guitarist and you could remember it 
even though you read that interview 20 years ago, right? And oh, God, yeah. I know every little tidbit of trivia and everything I read since I was 14 about all those musicians. It's crazy how much weird trivia. Yeah, you're right. I retained it all. It, and But you didn't retain the the things, you know, about world history that your teachers wanted you to to learn. However, your son because he's interested in it, is paying attention to the shapes of countries and is probably going to know the shapes of countries for most of his life, if not his entire life. And so it's really easy after you've gone down that path of mastery to see where the things are that you've learned. And for schools, we can do that really easily because we know what you're supposed to learn and we can go tack those things on on the back end and say, yep, this kid learned this. So for example, we had these um, this program called Synergy at my school where kids could choose to do whatever they wanted to make the world a better place. And they got to define the world. They got to define better. They got to define what they were going to do. Really powerful experience. They had three hours um, over two days during the week to do that. I wish we could have given them more time to see what they could have created. So we had some kid, one group of kids that wanted to create a social network to prevent bullying at our school. And so they spent all their time working on that social network, trying to figure out how to create it, trying to learn how to code to be able to code it, all that kind of stuff. Now, did they ever actually succeed? No, they didn't. They didn't have the time, the resources or anything to succeed, but they learned so much. They learned so much about research and about programming and about um, JavaScript and all these other languages that they had never known before. They learned about user um, and user license agreements and terms and conditions and things like that, that they would have never thought about before. They learned about how to uh, write simple if then statements to have somebody report bullying on that system so that they could eradicate it. And like all these things that they learned that I could find ways to tie them back to the content we were supposed to teach them. But those things they're going to remember forever. And they don't need me to go through and say, yes, you, I, to bless them and say that they've learned these things because they already know. And my feedback and validation of that is really meaningless to them because that learning process is already completed. But schools don't, they're not created that way. That's what I try to do to help schools to, to establish systems like that so they can do that. Um, because that allows kids to be creative. And as someone who's created your whole life, you know that that is so important. And what would you say to someone who's saying, how do I get my kids to be more creative in my school? I love the example you just gave. I mean, when I look back at, my schooling, there was no connection um, from school to my interests. Um, it felt like school was just a, it was the opposition. It was the hurdle. I was a bad student of all the required subjects. Like I, I really, I was a bad student. I failed uh, a lot of assignments and I would only get a passing grade because I would do well on the tests, but I just kind of refused to do the homework. But it's only when I saw music school as the key to getting what I want from life, like to be a successful musician. Only then did I suddenly become a straight A student going above and beyond on every assignment because now it was applicable. Um, that's the word that I heard, by the way, in, in that story you just gave, is that everything was now applicable. And 
when I think back about all my teenage obsession with being a successful musician, everything I was reading, I was immediately applying it. Like this is immediately applicable. I need to know this to help me solve the problem I'm wrestling with right now. That's the best way to learn, right? Like even years later, around the age of 30, that's when I started programming. But it was from absolute necessity. Like I had already started CD Baby without knowing any programming. And then it just quickly ballooned and grew faster than I could handle. And so all of this manual labor I was doing for hours a day, I had to figure out how to automate it. I had a massive problem of hours a day of manual labor. I needed to figure out the solution now on how to automate this. And that's how I learned programming by absolute necessity. And I feel bad for somebody that's just kind of like, well, yeah, I guess I should probably learn how to program. I guess I'll take a coding course. But it's like, if you don't have a problem to solve, it's all just going to be this foggy, abstract stuff that you're not really sure what you're supposed to know. You know, I think we need a problem first, uh, a mission, uh, and then all of the learning based around that to help you solve that problem. So, um, yeah, my school itself gave me nothing. Uh, even when I went to music school, even Berkeley College of Music is kind of this famous music school. And at least when I was there, it just wasn't very good. Uh, the teachers weren't very good. They were often discouraging. They were often just these kind of burnt out musicians that would show up late to class, pretty disorganized. And, but I was so driven that the school itself was like just a stepping stone for me. Like the school didn't teach me anything. And I almost dropped out because of it. It was only when I took a summer off and I decided like, you know what? If I know in advance that the school isn't going to teach me anything, then I can just go back and just use it like a library. It can just be the resource where I can get the information I need, but I'll just expect nothing of the school itself. So yeah, I went back for my second and remaining years uh, just expecting nothing of the school. And that's when I got the most out of it just because I used it as a resource, you know? So, um, I mean, all that said, I mean, all this talk of schooling, I know, I know this is your, this is your world and this is your thing. I got to say, like, I'm 50 now and I graduated college when I was 20. Like school is just all like a distant teenage memory for me. I think in the big picture, I've learned so, so, so much more since then than I ever did in those few years I was at school. So in hindsight, it just feels like school itself was really not important at all. Yeah. And, and that is exactly, exactly my point that if you, it, it, it's about learning for your whole life. It's not just about those 13 years that you're in, you know, regular K-12 education, right. but it's, it's about figuring out how to learn for your whole life because, you know, school itself is, is just an institution. But if we think of it instead as learning and problem solving, then it totally changes the dynamic. And so if you went to school and instead of, um, you know, your teacher saying, well, you know, it's world history class, so you need to learn these things. They said, what is it that you really want to spend your time doing? And how can we be a resource for that? Like if your high school teachers would have said, you know, use the school, the uh, facility that we have to start recording your own music. 
and to learn how to get better at it, you would have had a totally different experience with school, right? Probably, yeah. And so that's how it was when you finally took that approach the last couple of years at, at Berkeley, when you could, you could use the school as a resource. And, and that's where I believe we need to get to as far as education goes, because it's not enough to go through a process of, you know, checking off standards. We really need to teach people how to do what you just have been talking about this whole time, which is become a master in the things that you are interested in and really focus on those things until you get good enough at them that um, that you feel like you have mastered them or that, you know, you're done being interested in them. And, you know, that's perfectly natural. There may come, you know, in a couple of weeks or years or months or whatever, where your son is like, yeah, I'm done with flashcards. I'm done with, you know, learning about countries. And I don't really, I'm not interested in that anymore. That may happen. It may not, but, you know, he, he may not care about people outside himself at some point. And then, in my mind, the next task is find what the next thing is that he cares about and go all in on that. Mm. And all the things he's going to learn along the way, even when he's switching to different things that he cares about, are completely worthwhile educational endeavors that should not be diminished or thought less of because they are not what traditional school is. Right, right. Mm. You know, I try to remember in all of this, the nature and nurture contribution. Um, I grew up just kind of thinking that everything was nurture. I didn't believe in nature. I thought we all are entirely of our own design, our own making. Um, it was interesting when years, years, years later in my 40s, I read a few books on the subject of happiness written by these psychology professors that have a PhD in the subject. And it was fascinating to read that 50% of our happiness is just genetic. And only 50% is through our actions and life circumstances. And they found this over and over again in decades of studies. Yeah, 50% of your happiness is just in your DNA. And the best you can do with all of your attitude adjustments and positive thinking and even your life circumstances and where you live and all that stuff is only accounts for 50% of your happiness. And whenever, one of my best friends is this Australian woman that whenever she hears me obsessing a little too much about parenting, like trying to be the best parent I can, or my kids' school, you know, the fact that I told you that I crossed the earth to go from New Zealand to England just to raise my kid with better schools and stuff like this. This Australian friend of mine is one of the smartest people I know. She's a scientist in uh, Sydney and not just a scientist, but just one of those like whip smart in every aspect of life. She learns languages like nothing, you know, she'll just visit Japan for a few weeks and come out speaking conversational Japanese with people. She's just one of those super bright people. And she constantly reminds me, she's like, Derek, never forget. Like I grew up in the worst you know, crap part of Australia to the worst parents that like 
kicked me out when I was 13. Then I grew up in foster homes. I went to the worst schools in the poorest parts of the outback. And look at me. Like all this stuff you're obsessing on doesn't matter that much. It's going to account for some things, sure. But a lot of people just grow up being who they're going to be, no matter what you do. And uh, it's a nice counter reminder to all the stuff we try to optimize. Right. And so, you know, going out of our way and trying so hard to do something a certain way, you know, there are some things that we just can't overcome. And, and it's okay. Once you realize that, that, you know, it's not the end of the world when that happens. And I think for someone like you and someone like me and people who are listening, who really try hard to be the best they can at something, sometimes fall short and feel like all hope is lost and sometimes are so good that they um, are frustrated by other people's inabilities to be as good. And I think that story you shared helps, helps me understand that, you know, it's okay to be wherever you're at Mm -hmm. an appropriate way to, to manage that. I don't know if that was your intent, but that was what I got out of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's nice to just remember like everything I'm doing, it's going to account for something, but you know, Hey, I can relax a little bit. It's not, it's not a complete make it or break it situation. Right. Yep. So I, I want to thank you again for your time with this um, interview, Derek. This has been awesome. The last question that I ask everybody is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you are? Hmm. Listen. I think that uh, actually listening to kids instead of talking at them is the most important thing. Yeah, I think that is fantastic. Thank you so much for being part of this. The website, if you want to learn more about Derek, is go to Sivers, S-I-V-E-R-S dot org slash now. You can see what he's currently working on. You can check out his podcast and anything else you'd like to promote, Derek. (laughs) No, I'm not here to promote anything. Just go to Sivers.org and send me an email and introduce yourself. It's the reason I like doing these interviews is for the people I meet. Yeah. Well, and that is exactly how we met four years ago and emailed a couple times back and forth since then. And I just really appreciate your generosity and your time. So thanks for, again, for being part of Transformative Principle. Thanks, Jethro. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to ixl.com be to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. 
If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.